You are listening to the PHP Ugly Podcast. And despite what the title may lead you to believe, this is a podcast about the joys and challenges of being a professional PHP developer. Your hosts are three passionate developers who make a living coding and who live stream every week to discuss coding, projects, work, tech, and running a business. And now, here are your hosts, Eric Van Johnson, John Congdon, and Tom Rideout. You're listening to episode 240 of PHP Ugly. It's that time of week. Go down in the basement, turn the lights off, break out that old radio, and start tuning in the podcast station and listen to pure PHP happiness and goodness. And then switch over to our show because we have shit to say to. I'm your host. <laughs> Eric Van Johnson, and with me is John Congdon. Was were you making a reference to that whole intro before we started? I, I do all, off the cuff, and Tom <laughs> Rhino. Good evening, gentlemen. You see, Harry Mack, he, he puts together these massive rhymes off the cuff, like off the tip of his head. I just come up with like disconnected intros that really thought, don't make any sense. I thought before we went live, you said something about you had your old man intro. And then you went to like old radio. <laughs> no, no, no. I said I have to hide my old man. I got old man spots. That's why I've started wearing ball caps more. I've got these little old man spots up here now. Like, you know, like when you cut down a tree, you can see how old it is by the rings around <laughs> the tree. I, I'm starting to grow those spots up here. Like, ah, oh, he's he's in his 50s. You see those two spots right there? Yeah. Humans get those. Note to self. <sighs> Don't shave my head. Don't shave your head, don't, man. Don't, yeah, don't go bald. <laughs> How's everybody Bob. doing? How's everybody's week? Good. It's been a been a good week. I've been refactoring code. Ah, oh, it's so nice being able to refactor into something that is testable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm with you on that. I, I I am a fan of refactoring. That that is one of my things I enjoy doing. You've got to be a fan of testing. You've got to start. <sighs> I do. I have no more excuses not to. Even if you don't do it TDD, if you get your code working the way you want and then you add your test, it, it it's just nice to have them. So I, so I, I did a deep dive back into La- uh, Laravel, Livewire, um, and I have to say, uh, I, I, I went back to the videos because I, I was trying to do something... I, you know, I don't know if I've mentioned this in the past, but I'm a huge fan of Livewire. Did it, have really? I brought this up before? I feel like yeah. maybe I haven't, but yeah, no, this Livewire package for Laravel is just, it's just game changing to me. I mean, it, it absolutely just shifts. I find myself as someone who never considered themselves a front end person, as somebody who never liked doing front end between Tailwind and Livewire and then a little Alpine JS you know, sprinkled around the sides there. I enjoy the challenge of front end work now. And this week working, been working with a client who I appreciate very much. They're, they're very hands off. They're like, Hey, we know you're like kind of bleeding edge. You like being out there. You do you, you do what you do and then bring it to me and let me see it. And so I, I've just been in this zone of live wire with this uh, application I've been working on. And like I said, not a big front end guy, but I, yeah, I mocked up some front ends and they were like, oh, that looks good. And been making some live wire components. I mentioned last week or the week before, I've been working on forms and I've been procrastinating doing the live wire piece, tying stuff into it. But I worked on that uh, pretty much the end of last week and in this week. And it's just 
every time I touch Livewire, I'm like, this is black magic. Like, I will sell my soul to keep Livewire going because it is just so beautiful. It's so simple. And now, now, the, qu- can- now the question is, can you do testing around Livewire? So that was going to be my thing. So I had to, I, 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 I went down the path of a new component that I haven't worked on b- before, basically file uploads. Never really had a need for file uploads. Never really thought to lo- use Livewire for fi- file uploads. But uh, I'm like, I, I, I need to do some file uploads. I'm like, well, let me see what Livewire has, if it has anything, because I just was going to use the basic Laravel stuff. And of course, uh, Porzio has a whole kind of video t- course on <clears throat> uploads, and he does everything. Everything's tested. So yes, he has testing built into Livewire. So I have no excuse. If you look through like all the completed like uh, videos I did this week, like I have a list of like 12 of them completed. I have like two that like reference testing that are like empty. Like I haven't touched yet. <laughs> I'm just, I ain't got time for this. I'm skipping over that one. But he, he does testing throughout. I've got to get on board with this testing. I really do. Um, I just, I, I, I've, I've really kind of procrastinated on it. But the freaking uploading with Livewire, man, like we talked about how, or I, I've spoken about how I feel like I'm a better developer when I use Vim because I get lazy when I use PHP Storm. Somebody just posted a, uh, uh, a a blog post about basically the same argument around frameworks, and they specifically called out Laravel for some reason, probably because it's the most fa- uh, most popular fr- framework right now. And it was it was a little bit of that same argument of you know this is going to make you a weaker PHP developer if you use a framework. Livewire, like the same thing can be said about it. Like you're going to be a weaker you you're not going to understand JavaScript if you use Livewire. I don't give a shit. Like I don't need to understand JavaScript. Okay. I understand with, Livewire, and I'm good with that mentality. I'm just gonna throw this out there with with that that thought process in your head. Don't do testing. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna find things in your code that you can make better. But then you're gonna think you're a weak developer because you didn't do it that way to begin with. Don't do testing. No, I'm you're a gonna, pretty awesome. You're, you're developer. gonna have, you're gonna have tests passing. You're gonna have tests that find errors for you, but. You're going to be a weaker developer because you didn't know it beforehand. So don't worry about it. Skip the tests. That's ever, good enough for me. I'm not going to argue like, that point. You ever feel like someone asked you a question just so they, they could tell you their answer? <laughs> How's your you week saying, been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, Livewire. Ooh. <laughs> you, did, you did kind of steamroll that in there. Or crowbar that conversation right there. Yes. Well, I have been very busy testing and coding and... <laughs> Uh, you know, little bits of panicking and and then relaxing, and things have been very good this week. I haven't used Livewire at all, but I have used a lot of Vue three and uh, and PHP unit stuff like that. It's been a very productive week, very fun. So, how about you, Eric? You- Do you have a good week? Oh, was that all the content you had? Was that the most important thing you had where you had to interrupt my entire flow because I had the nerve not to wait for both you guys to do your, uh, it was uh, all right. I did a few things. I'd Conversation. Say I, I would say you didn't I wait apologize. for apologize. of us. Whatever. <laughs> no, I want. I do want to know more about, you said you were doing some View 3. All right. 
Are you doing like a lot of front end work? Or are you just dabbling in it? I'm not doing any front end work, but I have to figure out what the front end is doing to call the back end stuff. So there are times when they say, hey, this is the behavior on the front end, but we know it's a back end issue. So I have to dig through the front end code and figure out what the call is and what it's populating the query strings with and stuff like that. So it's it's not a lot. I'm not doing a lot of Vue 3. I'm reading a lot of Vue 3. Gotcha. I, I do find that when you are working on a new feature, if you have a front end and a back end person ahead of time and you come up with that contract of here's what I expect, here's what you're going to send, and you have a back and forth to figure out what's possible, it's a lot nicer <clears throat> just having that already laid out for you, those those uh, contracts put in place. It is. But I take it you don't have that. I do. I have, uh, when, we're, when we're doing new feature stuff, I do have the front-end guy doing the front-end thing, the back-end being me doing back-end stuff, and we have a sort of collaborative thing going on. I'm not sure. We're, we're working on our process still a little bit for how that mm. can be most efficient. Um, we are very focused on efficiency and performance and making sure that things are going as well as possible and testing. Like, I believe we have like 90% code coverage, which is just crazy. So, so you're part of a startup, but you're past that. Get something out there fast. Now you're in the phase of you can write it and write it good. It's not a speed thing at this point. Right. But we are doing like velocity and burn down and all the the management tools for best performance as developers. So it's we're not focusing on getting it out as fast as possible. We're focusing on quality, but we want to make sure that we're still moving at a at a good clip. Sounds like fun, sort of to a point. So who's who's responsible for grooming all your tasks? Uh, we have a project manager who is doing that. Gotcha. And then we have like biweekly meetings where we take all the tasks and assign story points and uh, analyze the requirements and things like that. And we, we do a, a two-week sprint. So our sprint planning session is where a lot of that gets done. How many? You haven't gone through that many sprints then, right? You haven't been there that long? I'm on my second sprint. Okay. I came in in the middle of the first sprint. We'll have to talk more about that in the future because currently uh, the team I'm on, we do six-week sprints and then two-week cooldowns. Do you have any sort of cool down between your sprints or is it just no nope. back to back it's back to back to back so anything that's in the old sprint that's not done gets moved into the new sprint and and affects our burn down rate hmm. you might want to talk about introducing something in there at least every few sprints have some sort of cool down where it's like all right let's take a breath like not be so gung-ho yeah like have a, a bug fix sprint or documentation yeah type thing mm-hmm. yeah i will uh i will consider that eric See, now, you're allowed to talk yeah no now he's mad <laughs> you can come back he's, to the conversation he's mad no he's not, th- i'm not mad thomas had thing thomas had things to say so it's gonna be a thing i'm, try- so, I'm trying not listen i edit this podcast every week i know how often i talk over people and I know how aggravating it is for myself editing the podcast. So I've, I've been trying the last couple of weeks to like make sure I'm not talking over top of people and waiting for opportunities to, to, to speak. So, hey, hey, hey yeah, Eric. Thomas was very, very much wanted to talk. So what? Hey, what, Eric. Tom? Over in Discord, we have good friend of the show, NS Bucky, is asking how long sprints generally are. But if people wanted to join us in Discord, how would they do that? 
John, there's a website they can go to. It's called discord.phpugly.com. That will automatically direct them. There's there's no special like codes or anything we need to pass. Just go to discord.phpugly.com and bada bing, bada boom, it'll take you there. So to answer your question about how long sprints generally are, it varies. I mean, if I don't know that there's any sort of standard. I've always heard the two-week sprints that Tom is doing. Yeah. Uh, I think our team got the whole six-week sprint, two-week cooldown from a base camp release. Like they, they put out some sort of white paper or something that somebody read a couple of years ago and then decided uh, on our team decided, oh, we're going to do that. We all know how I feel about base camp. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so th- there is no like general yeah, it's there's there's no team. standard. I you know I think two weeks is considered like the min the the shortest sprint length that right. you should have. <laughs> um, Sarah, Sarah's in Discord. She says her sprint lasts as a fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've seen sprints go up to a month. I haven't heard of a six week sprint, but uh, you know it's it it's one of those things that you adjust as you go and learn from how quickly you're getting things done or how your bugs are coming in. And it's all management techniques. Yeah. It definitely gets you thinking about your tasks a little bit more and trying to break them down into something meaningful. The hard part is getting on the same page about what is considered appropriate for a sprint. So we have some people that think a complete uh, feature needs to start and finish in a sprint. Yeah. And that's that's more the product management people that that want that, where the developers are like, no, in in this sprint, we may be talking about architecture and starting the plan. And then in the next sprint, we actually make it work versus get it all done right now. Yeah. And I think our sprints are different across what you do at the company, too. So I'm on the B team and our team is a two week sprint with a, like a three month epic. Um uh, see, I don't but, do anything with epics. I don't even know what they are. So for us, epic is what you would consider a feature. Mm. So just a, a full, well-rounded, completely done feature, a very high-level thing, like integrating a new uh, corporate entity in or something like that. So oh, my God. The, Can you uh, talk about Bitcoin or something? You sound like fucking project managers. I, I know. can't hold on to it much longer. I'm really, Jesus, I, say I something interesting. Into, I am turning into a project manager and I kind of don't mind it that much. Okay, listen. I got Sarah Goldman in Discord. Or actually, I don't know. Goal. Sarah's Goldman. You, I know no, Goldman. What did I say? Gold, I keep saying she's Gold. on YouTube. She's gold, but she's gold to me. Sarah, uh, Sarah, Sarah, since you're here, since you're here, you can be honest with us. Let us know. How massively disappointed are you with Ben Ramsey right now? I mean, come on. Seriously, we all, we all see it. We all see it. I saw the little email blunder today. We all we all know about it. Come on, you can tell us how how, how bad of a job how bad of a job is he doing? Just make me feel better. Let's go. All right, what's this email blunder? What are you talking about? <laughs> I do like how he he banned or made his projects incompatible with Diego Labs projects. Di- Diego Labs, <laughs> <laughs> he is evil to the core. Everybody should know this about him by now. He is evil to the core. It is. It is the tenth birthday of Laravel. I saw uh, yeah. Rod Joyish. Uh, He's saying, mentioned- "Don't mention it," and you went and mentioned he- it. See. Now he we just lost not, a that, listener. I'm, I'm not going to be intimidated by somebody named Rod Joyish. He's not going to come into my Discord and intimidate me. It's the 10th uh, 10 year uh, birthday to uh, uh, Laravel. I mean, 
it's old enough to drink as far as I'm concerned. What? No? Is that probably <laughs> bad parenting? What? No, that's just Speak, exhausting of, parenting. My kid friggin' turns seven tomorrow. That's crazy. That is crazy. That is too we're going, that is we're going are, jet skiing. You're still in the good times though. That's not yeah. bad. It's not bad. Yeah, he, that's what you think. Oh my gosh. Everything still, is the end of the world right now. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, they might he might not be wrong. <laughs> Let's talk crypto. Since since Eric brought it up, it's been a crypto week. I thought Eric wanted to talk about why you should not use Laravel. No, oh, we, I moved I moved that ticket over for anybody who was interested. I, I mentioned it already. I oh. I mean we can talk about it. Like I say, I wasn't I wasn't that moved by the blog post. It, it's that typical oh, okay. all all frameworks are bad sort of. <laughs> oh, gotcha. All right, crypto. So there was this whole colonial pipeline hack where they paid like it was like forty five. Bitcoin to the the hackers, which was four and a half million dollars, and everyone's like, you know, that's crazy, and how could they, and whatever. The government got it back. Well, not all of it, but yeah, I thought they got all of it. Oh, the last I heard, and I, I just moved my uh, little Trello card over. They'd gotten a majority of it back. Oh, okay. All of it. Yeah. So, how did, how did they get it back? They're not exactly saying. However, uh, they did say that they had seized the servers that this hacker group used. And there was also this other story about a messaging app called Anom, which was designed to look like it was really good for organized crime syndicates to use. And it was super safe and super secure and super encrypted. And it turns out the FBI made it, (laughs) (laughs) which is... Kind of a whoopsie for criminal organizations. So it's possible that they've got keys from there. They've got passwords from there. Um, they've got the servers. And so they could have gotten into those and seen what the wallets were and gotten the secret addresses for it. You know, uh, they haven't said, and, and I don't expect them to say exactly how they got it. Uh, but it's nothing like a vulnerability in Bitcoin itself. It's just, yeah, this hacker group didn't secure their stuff, didn't take care of it right, or something along I those lines. I- I thought I read somewhere they had hacked the key for it or something, but I could be wrong there. But you, you're actually mixing two stories together. That uh, Ananum story is huge. I it mean, is. This was, like, this was like a global crime syndicate bust sort of thing. And I think it really starts to highlight what, uh, what criminal enforcement is looking like in the cyber age. You know, this, well, you know, it's not in our jurisdiction. We can't do anything about it. Yeah, I think organizations are, global organizations are starting to realize we need to work together. We need to figure this out. I, I feel like this is probably one of the first steps into into uh, law enforcement agencies around the world having a proactive role in finding bad guys in in the cyber wires. Um this I was floored by this. I mean, it reminds me. Of, I I'm sure they probably still do it, but I remember growing up as a kid. There was there was always this people that they're trying to try, that had like outstanding you know bail and all this, and they're trying to kind of take them back to jail. They did the whole hey, you won sneakers or you won concert tickets, come here and pick it up. And it's kind of like that same concept. It's like in the yeah. seedy underbelly of 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 the dark web, somebody just said. 
hey, I created this new encryption app. I'm going to keep it for, you know, bad people only. I'm not going to put it on Google and stuff because I think they had even, like, I think they were even providing the phones and stuff for this. And I'm sure... There's some lengthy articles about how how the FBI garnered trust among the criminal community with this thing. And they basically acted like it was for criminals mm-hmm. and that they were criminals as well. They they acted really suspicious in in a way that you wouldn't think the FBI would be sophisticated enough to act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that was cool. But back yeah. on Bitcoin, I mean, you guys are like all over the place. Nobody's asking me my opinion about anything. But let me go ahead and just kind of throw it out there, seeing how nobody cares. <laughs> But uh, did either one you catch on either one you guys catch that Bitcoin is now legal tenure in uh, El Salvador? Tender. Yes, I did not know that. So it's a weird story. It's a weird story because of a lot of things. Um, The first thing being that it's the first officially recognized legal tender, but the way that Bitcoin has been treated in Japan for some time now is as close to legal tender as you can get without a legal declaration. So Japan kind of beat him to it on this. The other thing is that this guy's real weird. Like the the president is is not is a little bit shady, a little bit shifty, uh a bit of a meme type person. And the final thing is that 20% of El Salvador's income is from money being sent from foreign uh residents to El Salvador. Mm-hmm. So it's it would make sense for them to try and reduce costs for those transactions. What's another yeah. way to reduce costs? Well, I mean, not managing your own server, for one. We bring today's podcast to you in cooperation with Cloudways, a managed cloud hosting platform built for your PHP projects. If you simply wish to focus on your business, Cloudways is the way to go. They take over server management and security and free up time that you can dedicate to growing your business and acquiring new clients. The platform offers a choice of IaaS partners, AWS, Google Cloud, DigitalOcean, Linode, and Vulture. In addition, you get a performance-optimized stack, managed backups, and staging environments where you can test your code before pushing it to live servers. Best of all, Composer and Git come pre-installed so you can get your projects up and running quickly. All this power, simplicity, and peace of mind falls right within their brand slogan, Moving Dreams Forward. Be sure to visit cloudways.com slash en slash php dash hosting dot php today. Sign up using the promo code phpugly and get a $25 credit. Thanks, Thank Cloudways. you, Cloudways. All right, Eric, you, you shared this story. One password allowed hackers to disrupt the Colonial Pipeline. I saw that and my heart sank at first because I read that as one password, the company. <laughs> versus, oh, I did too. Versus a single password. <laughs> That poor company. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh, if you're not using a password manager, go check out One Password. Just because of this bad publicity they just got. <laughs> you, you know, whoever named One Password, they're like, oh, we're we're, we're going to call ourselves One Pass because that's all you need is just the One Password. Then and something like this happens. <laughs> so, so the link that Eric shared, One Password allowed hackers to disrupt the Colonial Pipeline, is basically. The CEO of this company went in front of the senators, right? In front of... Yeah. uh, They had a Senate hearing, yeah. Yeah. And said that they didn't have two-factor. A single password into a legacy VPN allowed hackers to get in and completely screw things up. But it was just the title of that story just (laughs) had me going, "Uh, what? 
That's strange. <laughs> That's strange to me because they the hackers would have had to know that this was a legacy system that didn't have authentication past the the VPN. Why would they have to know that versus just trying? Because the so the article here makes it clear uh, that it was a complicated password. It was not a simple like thing you could guess. It was numbers, letters, characters, you know, symbols, the whole nine. So a brute force on that would be very difficult. And to decide to brute force a, a line like that, that you don't know where it goes and you don't know what access it has, so they, they would have had to have some information from either a phishing attack or a document leak first. So, I mean, they say it's one password, get, you know, led to this open system, but really they had to get that password from somewhere. I'm sure that they did a, f- a far more sophisticated attack to get there. Yeah, but yeah. it was still a single I, password. I wouldn't give them too the much credit. Yeah, I wouldn't give them too much credit. But <laughs> I mean, you, you've seen I mean, they're broke. some people that answer people. emails. It's kind of like, hey, I, you know, I just started. I don't have access to the VPN. What's the password? You know, something stupid. And somebody yeah. like, oh, we we had that. We talked about it on the show uh, back when we had a uh, personal assistant. My, my daughter worked for Diego Dev for a while. We had somebody email her impersonating John, the CEO. Yes. And said, you know, basically, hey, I don't have access to my email account. I'm using a friend's email or something. I need you to go buy some Apple uh, gift cards. For a client. And, yeah, for a client. And I mean, it, you know, it, it's, it honestly seems like something feasibly a small business would do. And of course, being, right. you know, I left my, my laptop kid, at the airport. I can't get online right now. How do right. I, you know? So, you know, she came to me. She goes, Hey, I got a weird email from John and shared it with me. So she had done the right things. And of course, I proceeded to go completely overboard setting up like fake approval <laughs> forms for them to go fill out. And, uh, I think, I think it led to uh, my, my daughter talking to who she thought was John in the email about their uh, out of wedlock baby because he was married. And I mean, it just got hysterical. You can't, yeah, but, you don't want to, you don't want to tempt Eric with a, with a, a bad time because he'll take it. But the thing about it is whoever they were on the other end stuck with it. Like no matter what we sent them, you know, we sent them, Hey, you got to go and approve it on this form. They went and approved it. <clears throat> then, you know, my daughter started talking about, you know, are we going to tell your wife about, about our affair, this baby's coming, blah, blah, blah. They just kept <laughs> get playing. We'll, we're going to, I'll get back to that when I get back in town. And I'm like, they, they, it's just, but it's that simple, right? It's just a matter of them just keep, keep asking. And eventually somebody's going to break down. Somebody's going to misstep. Somebody's going to be tired and just say, fine, here, here's the email. Here's the password, whatever you need. Uh, so yeah, I don't think I'm not going to give them a, a lot of credit, but I do want to talk about a, a couple of things since everybody's asking me, you know, what I'm working on. Uh, I did take some time this week and shared with John, my new workflow with Vim and Tmux. And I was curious if he had any thoughts or opinions of it because you really didn't say much when i showed it to you zoom was muted i was trying to talk to you (laughs) (laughs) all in all i i thought it was really cool i i liked the layout the the tmux sessions being able to kill the the tmux server reconnect get all your windows back the way you had them uh vim workshop workspaces is that what they're called Mm -hmm. 
workspaces here. Was really interesting to me because I'm so used to, you know, if your Vim crashes, you have the swap files and it's a pain in the ass to get back up and running. Uh, he showed me that if you're in the middle of editing a file and you kill your Tmux session, when you go back into Vim, it puts all your pains and all the files you were working on back into the buffers, but it doesn't give you that warning. But mm -hmm. if you do it in a separate session or a second time, it does know that it's a second connection and still gives you that warning saying, hey, this file's being edited by whoever and what, you know, gives, still makes it where you're not editing the same file in two places, which was amazing to me. So Yeah, so I brought that up for, for a reason. Um, so I'm glad you liked it. Uh, the one thing that, so the one thing I showed John is that I have multiple TMUX sessions now. So I don't just have one TMUX session with a bunch of windows and panes open. I have multiple TMUX sessions of multiple windows with multiple panes on them. So I create a TMUX session basically for my overall stuff, my Diego dev work, my work, all that goes into one. I have clients that go into each, uh, you know, each have their own different session. And then I usually have a session for what I would run like other processes on. Like if I was running a long running bot or the one thing I always did was my ingrock for SSH. So I say all that because to show John all that, I, I I had my terminal open for about two weeks now. And by the time John got on and I had a ridiculous amount of windows open, a ridiculous amount of panes. I mean, like every time I was doing a code review or working on a project, it would become its own window in a session somewhere. So I, I, I had them, uh, sessions going for like six projects, six or seven projects. And I was just bouncing around between them. It, it, not, my hand never left the keyboard. You know, I'm just like bouncing around. It, it, it was glorious. It was beautiful. But I, you know, I thought, okay, this is a cool time to show John this. And I wanted to show him that if I kill my, if I kill my Tmux server, obviously everything goes away. And I was a little nervous because I hadn't done it in a long time. <laughs> so I kill the server and then I start it back up and everything, everything goes back, but it doesn't launch processes. So like I had to go into all those Vim projects and I had to relaunch Vim. And the big thing I didn't do, and I totally forgot to do it is I didn't get my ingrock SSH going. And I totally, I forgot about it because I don't do a lot of remote work anymore. And of course I'm out of the house uh, and I, I'm like, I, I tell the wife, the wife asked me if I could drive him somewhere. I'm like, yeah, if you don't mind, if I work in the car, it's going to take you about an hour for this appointment. I'm going to work in the car. And she was like, yeah, no problem. So I, I truck drive him <laughs> and I go to, I grab my iPad because I love this freaking workflow. Cause in my head, I'm thinking I got everything. I connect to my machine. I do, you know, I, I connect to my team session and everything's right there. I don't miss a beat. Of course, I forgot to start the SSH server, right? So this led me to when I got home, because I, you know, I was frustrated. When I got home, I'm like, all right, that's it. Either I'm going to make this a service, which you can do, but I use Ngrok with clients in a couple of websites, and I have multiple sites configured in my Ngrok configuration. So I, I will call up separate configurations. If you run Ngrok as a service, you can only have one configuration in that file. Right. I'm like, that just doesn't work for me. So somebody in our Discord channel, again, if you're not familiar, discord.phpugly.com, uh, somebody in our Discord channel a long time ago had uh, suggested a service from Cloudflare called Argo, 
not our guess, the awesome web-based cron monitoring system, Argus.to, not that, Argo. Uh, And I I, I played with it for a little while. I got uh, the web stuff working without issue. It was super simple. But at the time, I thought I couldn't get the SSH stuff working. So I took another crack at it, and I figured out what I was doing wrong. And basically, I just wasn't reading all the instructions. But now, it is so... So cool. And John, when I tell you this, you're going to want to do it. I'm telling you right now, you're going to want to do it. So the way it works is um, in Cloudflare, to use SSH, first off, you have to use their little application. It won't allow you to, like, once you get it all set up, you still can't SSH to it with just straight SSH. You've got to proxy your, your requests through their application because it does all this key management and all this other crap. So that's one step. So that initially was a problem, right? Because there was no way for me to set that proxy up for that SSH connection on my iPad with the app I used, which is called um, Tremis or Terminus or something like that. Not a huge deal. In case you didn't know, John and I have a company called Diego Dev, and we have several servers out there. And I actually have a server that's allocated just for work stuff, like just in, internal apps and things that, that people in the company take advantage of. So I actually installed the Cloudway uh, client Cloud on there, uh, Cloudflare client on there, and that just becomes my jump <clears throat> box. So when I need to SSH back here, I just I just jump to that box and then I do my SSH here and it works great. And the really cool thing about it, the totally awesome thing about it that I got for free, I didn't even realize. I'm like, what is, what is this access thing that they have here? What is this? So the way I have it, of course, I we don't allow password authentication. Um, I, I've never allowed password authentication through SSH. It's always been through keys. The problem with that, and I'm guilty of this, I don't rotate my keys nearly as much because it's a pain in the ass because then you got to get it on all your other servers. About the time you've done that with your old key and you got your new key on, you've got to rotate keys again. It's just a pain in the ass. So I definitely don't rotate keys as much as I want. It's always been like a pain point for me. I've always had this idea that I would create the script that ran through my SSH config file and rotated keys for me automatically. Whole different story. but. What this allowed me to do is it allowed me to set up two-factor authentication. So when I go to SSH to my machine here on my on my desktop, Cloudflare interrupts it and says, hey, you have an access rule set up on this that says only people with DiegoDev.com email addresses can access this SSH point. And you have to you have to give me your email address and I'm gonna send you a code and then or I'm going to send you a link. And when you click on that link, I'll, I'll allow you in. I'm like, what? Like I have two factor authentication on my SSH now. And I didn't have to do anything on my desktop. That was awesome. So I am so stoked. I, I'm a little bummed that I have to use a jump box, but you know, that's not very, like we, we work with one of our clients. We work on these like very secure government systems that, that's the only way you can get to them anyways, the jump boxes. And even when I worked in the enterprise, that's how we had things set up. There was all, cause it allows you to reduce that, uh, attack vector to a certain IP and allows you to focus on who's allowed to get in. So it's not this 
absolutely terrible thing that I have to do this little jump box. I, you know, I wouldn't mind skipping it if I, if I could, but yes, not only did I set it up on my desktop, but I'm like, fuck it, man. I'm going to set it up on my Raspberry Pi too. So I have my Raspberry <laughs> Pi. I can SSH to that now. I can SSH to my desktop. I, ha- I have the web stuff set up. It's fantastic, man. I can't wait to actually have to need it. It's great. <laughs> You want to know what I took away from that entire conversation right there? That Ngrok has a configuration file. Yes, Ngrok has a configuration file, and you should be using it. Because it was set up. I have a shell script that I run where I run the script, and then I say what my subdomain is, and then what domain I'm acting as. Mm-hmm. So That's exactly what this does. So <laughs> it's like I have to remember those things versus a single tunnel name. Yeah. Yeah, you, I, I, I can, I can share with you. I, 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 I pulled it up while you were talking because I knew it was going to be a bit. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, <laughs> you, what you knew it was going to be a bit? That's good stuff, man. That's good information. No, it really, it really was. It, it, that is, see, I don't do enough remote work. I haven't done any remote work yet where I've done it from my desktop. Mm-hmm. So I still need to try that all out. Mm-hmm. But yep, at the same I, time, I, I'm not using Vim. I'm using PHP Storm, which makes it. A little more tricky. Oh, and that's the other thing I did. Damn it. So I was on week three, I think, of just uh, Vim. And the the file upload live wire piece I was talking about, I finally broke down today. I finally broke down today. It went back... uh, Went back to... uh, Or no, maybe it was yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday. I went back to PHP Storm yesterday. And it turned out I, I didn't even have to. I'm like, I'm trying to do something. I, I, I'm following these documents. Um, this client likes to use a spotty package for file uploads. Uh, I forget what it's called. Um, some spotty package for file uploads. And I, I'm reading through it. And, and like I said, I, I was debating whether or not to even use Livewire for <coughs> file uploads. And then I, I caught a glimpse of the fact that this spotty package had a Livewire component to it. I'm like, oh, shit. Well, why would I use that? So I go to implement it. And of course, it's not auto-completing or anything. I'm like, it's complaining. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. I understand. You don't understand LiveWire. I get it. And But it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work at all. I'm like, man, I am, I'm really hosed here. Like, there's something. I'm doing something dra- drastically wrong. And I can't figure out what it is, is what I'm thinking. So I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'll fire up PHP Storm. So I fire up PHP Storm, and it's it's wigging out as well. It's not happy. Well, it turns out this uh, spotty file pa- uh, file upload package has a free and pro version. And I was reading the documentation for the pro version <laughs> that I guess had this live wire component, and the free one doesn't. And so it wasn't that I was doing it wrong or wasn't following instructions correctly. It was, it wasn't there in the version I was using. <laughs> so then I was like, I felt dirty. I'm like, Oh damn. I used, I used PHP storm. I didn't have to. Now I am considering since I showed you my workflow on, uh, on, um, Tmux and all that, I am considering trying to duplicate that in storm just to see like how clunky it feels like it feels so clunky to me even over the last two days of using it it's like this is so frustrating i can't believe how many times i had to reach for my mouse to do do something but i'm still thinking about like basically doing the same thing like just doing a whole screen of php storm and never leaving php storm like how long can i do that how well can i manage multiple projects i don't think i don't feel like it's going to be very good 
I don't feel like it's going to be a good experience at all. But I should I should give it a shot because See, I, I do that. I, I do have multiple storm windows open for different projects, bouncing back and forth. But there are times when I reach for my mouse. Not not that yeah. often. I have enough of my keystrokes down where I don't need to. Yeah. But- yeah, I'm trying to get better with my jumping, too. Like, you, you're always <clears> complaining <throat> about the relative lines I have. And I'm trying to leverage those now. And I can't believe it's taken me this long. Like, I always knew they were there, and every now and then I would try to use them. But now I'm trying to force myself to always use them because it's I move around so much quicker. Like between just if all I do is do the relative line jump and then do F whatever I'm looking for to do it, you know the X Y movement, I I just cut my time down so quickly. See, I, I don't know and, what that relative movement is, but for me, you've got the relative lines of okay, one two three four up, one two three four down versus. Mm-hmm. 100, 101, 102. And I'm like, I just do colon 101. I'm at that line. I don't have to go 6J to yeah, figure but see, out 6J, how to get there. 6J is two characters. 106 colon 106 uh, would, is four characters. Plus your inner at, key. We're at this part of the conversation where it's about saving three characters. But when I'm, but but when I'm screen sharing you with you all when day I'm, long. When I'm screen sharing with you, I can't say go to line 100. In five, because I don't know what line number it is. I'm looking at relative lines. Hey, listen, I'm sorry. I'm not going to have my workflow so it's compatible with your crippled ability to, to be able to give instructions. I'm sorry. You know what's not a crippled ability? Knowing what's going on with your application, John. And How we have another sponsor who very generously does that for free. You should go sign up today, honeybadger.io. They'll sit there and they'll tell you what's going on in your application and let you know when things go sideways. Honey Badger transforms you into a DevOps hero by combining error, uptime, and cron monitoring into a single easy-to-use platform. Stop wasting your time tailing logs and deploy with swagger. Visit HoneyBadger.io today to level up. Thanks, Honey Badger. Thank you, Honey Badger. That was a great segue, Eric. That was a beast of a segue. That's what I do, man. You guys, uh, you guys have any downtime this week? Any any outages? I was not I, affected I, by it. I wasn't affected at all. And I, I I woke up in the morning. I turned on the news. That was the first story on there. I just rolled my eyes and been like, oh, wait, fuck, what, it's gonna be. What one was of those the first days. story? I don't know what you're talking about. Fastly. <laughs> uh, so on Tuesday, the internet service provider Fastly had an outage caused by a bug in their system that had been there for a couple weeks, but was triggered when one user changed their configuration. I so badly want to know more about this bug and how, like, they're promising transparency, but what does that mean? What did that user change and how is that a bug that caused this? First of all, who is Fastly? Fastly is one of the big providers out there um they provide what reddit shopify new york times uh big big companies they are a sort of a backbone cdn provider thing um they they don't host everything naturally Oop, let me get my uh stories but, up I, here. but I think they 
they mostly affected the East Coast, from what I understand. Yeah. East so Coast they, of the United States. Big impact on the East Coast. Um, and at the sort of prime morning business hours, uh, GitHub, uh, Wayfair, New Relic. Uh, you know, when New Relic goes down, that's bad news. Uh, Imager, Kickstarter. Which, you, you say it's bad news. I rely on New Relic daily. Like, it's it's a... A monitor of of sites. It, I mean, it, it's a big piece of the infrastructure. But I didn't know anything about this until later Tuesday when I saw our team talking about it in Slack. Well, how would you know that your uptime indicator was down? Um, by my downtime indicator indicating it was up. <laughs> uh and I think I think the 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 most appropriate correct thing I heard about this after it happened was was now we're all going to have to go through meetings about how we can create redundancy from these CDNs that can go down sometimes. We we hear that from our clients every time AWS has a blip. If right. if they have a two second blip, it's how do we prevent this? And it's like, well, you use uh, AWS. You know, no, the we end. give them the costs. We give them the costs, and then they're like. Yeah, no, we can live with it. It's all right. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we could spin up our own CDN on multiple backplanes and have a load balanced system operating internationally if you'd like. We, I mean, so we have I, talked and we, we haven't gone down that road of having a disaster recovery plan of how do we take everything off of AWS and duplicate it somewhere else in right. the fastest time possible. Which, it, 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 the, the more we're there, the more of a problem it is because we, we're we're taking advantage more and more of their services. Like these, these services, they have like a elastic beanstalk and, you know, S3 obviously, but there's a lot of S3 clones, not clones, but other services out there that actually use the S3 drivers. So that's not so bad, but it's just like the other, other things in the workflow that we're taking advantage of. Oh yeah. All the auto scaling and yeah. just all those pieces, code deployment, well, and I think I think the story, the old story, is still true. That the fastest way to spin up a new server on a new provider is to put someone on a plane holding the server in their lap and have them deliver. You, you know, your transfer speeds between two physical locations is never going to be faster than just putting somebody on a plane with a hard drive. Mm-hmm. So it's John, true, except would, for the. I was going to say it, it's true, except for the fact that when you're talking about AWS, it's not a single hard drive. I mean, the the main client I work on is up to like well over a hundred instances. <laughs> so trying to get that configured and all straightened out would be a, a nightmare. All right, Eric, what are you gonna say? So I wanted to circle back around on the PHP Storm conversation because I'm not I'm not done done talking about that. So I like you saw in my team session, I, I had like four four or five Vim instances running with different projects open, some internal projects, some client projects, some stuff that we've like Argus.to, the easy to use online crown monitoring service. Uh, I had all that stuff open. So are you saying that when you do that with PHP Storm, you open new PHP Storm windows for each mm-hmm. one? Mm-hmm. Yep. Woo. Have you ever now? So this, so you're 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 starting to show your privileged status here. <laughs> have you have you ever seen how how much uh, it, processing yeah. it takes? God yeah. damn! I mean, fortunately, we have very big machines, so 
I don't notice it with with the one window I run. I I can't. I, I assume I won't notice it with three or four windows, but I got a glimpse of the resources that PHP Storm was using with one project open, running, not doing anything special, and I saw the resources it was using. I'm like, oh my god, how did I even use this on my laptop? It's like mm-hmm. it just seemed crazy how much it uses. No, I I agree, and I don't know what I would do if I didn't have a great desktop with great RAM in it. Right. Right. Like yeah, I said, it's not yeah. really really an issue for us. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Yeah. I don't know, man. That just feels so bulky to me. So you have all those windows. And you I mean, I don't have a I don't have a lot of them, and usually I'm really quick about. I usually I have a max two or three at a time. Gotcha. Usually it's usually it's one. I will open up a second or third one to do some work. For the last week, because of what I've been working on, I've had two open constantly. But usually uh-huh. I, I, I use my open recent project, open something I need to work on. Mm-hmm. I'll do a quick PR, whatever I need to do, and then I close it because I'm done with it. So that's the other question. Do you use do you use the uh, all the Git stuff in terminal and everything in Storm? Mm-hmm. Yep. See, that's the bulkiest. Like, like the commit stuff, the Git stuff is what drives me nuts in Storm. Really? It's so it's so, so clunky to me, especially now that I use lazy Git. Um, like it's just it's crazy. Like to to today today when I was using PHP Storm, I was still dropping down to the terminal and using Lazy Git to do my commits. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 just it's ucky. I don't like it. And and I I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to they're they're trying to put a good interface on on what some people have trouble managing. And I think for those people, they've done a good job because it is very. Like if you use your mouse and you click and in you know it it's it works well, but they're weaker developers. No, wait, no. no but what? They, what I, I'm not understanding what lazy Git is giving you that I'm not getting. It's not giving me anything. You're not getting but speed, speed and efficiency. I mean, lazy Git is just so fast and it's all it's all you know so, terminal. So I'm just using keys. See, VS Code I'm, is uh, crazy I'm, fast. But same with PHP yeah, Storm. I, I have I'm no just using. With a, I'm just using keystrokes as well. Control KK gives me my commit window. I type my commit message and I'm done. So I just and, use, and, I and, use my mouse and I click and, on the Git button. Yeah. Is that bad? You, you do you do KK. It opens up your Git because I actually have I, I, I have my fugitive uh, things mapped to it. So I have the keystroke mapping to to pull the stuff up. My I can never do the commit and push. It, that never fucking works for me. I don't know why. And then yeah. it never seems like it's it lands on the right window for me either like I, i'm always having to like move the window like grab my mouse and click in the commit message so that it it goes to the commit message but it's like things like that just break my flow like when i'm in when i'm in the zone coding and i get tripped up with having to fucking click my mouse to to click to do the submit and pu- or commit and push it's like jesus fucking christ like why can't i just get that See, to go for me i, I make my changes I do my control KK. It brings up the window. I'm still in Vim mode. I hit S because it highlights the previous commit message. S to substitute Mm -hmm. type. And I think it's option P to do a commit and push versus uh, just a commit. Option P or or option. Okay. Alt P. All right. I'll have to, I'll have to, I'll try that one. Yeah. Alt P. Yeah, I, so I you're mean, still, you're still with VS Code there, Tom. You'll, 
that's uh, that's doing it for it you. It is, uh, dude. It is kicking ass. It is so <laughs> nice. But I, he still doesn't have the Vim bindings, so it doesn't count. Yeah, no, I still like my mouse. I, I, I think that the advancement in technology 70 years ago was a good one, and I prefer to adapt it. It, it, it hasn't advanced any sense. I mean, Are come on. Mine the is, keyboard mine is way better. Mine laser to take a picture 10,000 times a second. <laughs> mine has, it has two scroll wheels. I don't need ten thousand times a second. I have my keyboard. That's where that's where the magic happens. The goddamn keyboard. The magic happens in your hands, no matter what the tool is you're using. It's in your hands. Okay, easy, buddy. Easy. You don't know it's been in my hands lately. <laughs> my mouse has a button that switches modes between scrolling types. I can have a Ugh, magnetic scroll, whatever child, or a smooth scroll, whatever child. I have a gesture button that can just mute you with a single click. I got a gesture that, that for whole, you. That whole like quick scroll thing. The number of times I just flick the scroll wheel and then end up hitting like Alt Tab or something, then I'm like, are <laughs> <laughs> you are you go up to your tabs in your browser window and all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh yeah, it's still spinning. I should stop that. Well, it detects how quickly you're spinning, and it switches modes automatically. So if I if I scroll slowly, I get the clicky scroll. But if I try to uh, scroll listen, I'm quickly, not going to have a big fucking conversation about your scrolling mouse. Okay, I was trying to entertain you for a little oh. while, but you're boring the shit out of me. You're right. Let's go back to T Mux. I mean, if we want to be efficient, sure, we can talk about T Mux. Do you guys do uh, I- documentate like API documentation generation, like automated stuff? Didn't you ask that last week? No. Been using Deja it a vu. ton lately, and I really like it. <laughs> you still using the same product? Yeah, we're using Scribe. Scribe, and I, I had somebody using ask open for that link. Sorry. Can you can you throw that link in the uh, in the show notes, please? Because yeah. behind the scenes, I, is it using the Open API uh, specification? Yes, I believe so. Here you go, Eric. It's in the show notes now. So funny story. Last week before the show, um, and John knows this because John was helping me a little bit. I I was trying to. So over the years, I've written scripts to to automate pieces of the show. The the big one I, I have is the show notes. I have a script that puts together show notes for me now, which was a huge, huge pain in the ass. But uh, last week, I started working on the script to do the pre-show stuff, like create. We we create a new list in Trello. I have to change um, titles and restream. I have to create a session in Zencaster. You know, all these little things that I have to do every week. So I started doing that, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> The the show note in the bot, the PHP bot that runs in our Discord, are dependent on a, a couple of knowns. Basically, the big known is that in Trello, the last list created will will be a representation of the current show. So when I do the show notes, it says, okay, give me the last list that you created. Grab everything out of there. There's your show notes. The bot does the same thing. As we're moving things around in Trello, the bot's watching what the most current list is. And every time we move a card into that current list, it says, okay, I'm going to put this in Discord. Well, last week, I'm like, I noticed that the bot wasn't writing anything in Discord. And I've had little bugs in the bot before. And I'm like, ah, oh, there's something wrong with the bot. I'm not going to really worry about it. But then I went to do the show notes. 
and it didn't do any show notes. And I realized that as I was testing my pre-show script, I had created the list for the show that day, but I continued testing and I continued creating lists. And then I would just archive them. Like, all right, yeah, we're not going to use those. I already have the list for today. <laughs> so both the bot and the show notes didn't get it. Well, I'm like, you know what? Nobody ever fucking reads the show notes. I don't care. Nobody's ever read the show notes. The next day, I get a message in Telegram. Hey, man, I'm looking for a link and you have no show notes. <laughs> Son of a bitch! Are you serious? And it was that link they were looking for. I'm like, come on! You noticed that Trello got bad the last two weeks, right? Or three weeks? What do you mean it got when do you got bad? If you scroll through our Trello board, you'll notice a sudden change in all of our links. Hmm? Yeah, the the picture stopped. Eric mentioned that today. Yeah, and so I think jira changed over what trello is to a thing called workspaces like jira workspaces Mm -hmm. and they're trying to premium plus some of the free features Mm -hmm. which i find annoying considering they were a company years ago that we don't want your money don't try to give us your money we're not going to take it we're not going to this is a free thing i mean that's smart it made them you know a billion dollars i'm sure Mm mm-hmm but yeah, and then there's this like create from templates and there's all this this stuff. I just don't. It looks almost the same, but it just starts acting differently. Don't like. Come on, they've got a calendar I, I have power a, up. I have a I have a, a client that uses Trello, and I guess they pay for it, and it has a pretty cool feature that I'm like, damn, I almost want to pay for that. It, it's nothing we'd use for the show, but uh, what they have is they can define these rules on lists so that like backlog list for example that's that's a pretty common list that we use and we're using it with this client there's a backlog list and what it'll do is like the uh start of each day it'll go through the backlog list and reorganize the cards so that the oldest thing is on top or you can do it at the bottom however you want to do it but like it gives you some abilities uh what was the other one uh uh, the milestones. So it, it it was watching the milestone list, and as a, I forget what that one was doing, but like it, it, it had a little bit of that Zapier, if this then that feel to it, where it's like, okay, yeah. watch this list, and then if this happens, do this action sort of thing. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Hmm. <sighs> okay. So you're using it as a project management tool. Yes. Yep. We we are. It's it's okay. We've got I mean, we've got way too many project management tools out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet we definitely and then none of them work. I mean, the the best thing we found working for us at Diego Dev is just using the the GitHub stuff, which has like the Trello board layout as well. Like you yeah. can do these Trello things. Everybody has my to do list. To to doist t o d o i s t has this now as well. Like you can create to dos in your list and then you can switch it to this trello board format it's pretty cool Hmm. Uh, yeah i'm still using that too and getting better at using it we use uh we use all of the atlassian products so all of our project management is just sort of like this chain of executions it just goes from the project management or not even that from like the design the uml designs in atlassian all the way to deployment with them so uh our path is is pretty nicely streamlined i'd like to show it to you guys someday Hmm. is there a lot of mouse clicking involved had to ask. There, there asking, is. asking for a friend. There is. I'll see if they have a Vim <laughs> mode for project. See if management. they have Vim mode. Everything good has Vim mode. Uh, 
our good friend Nikita Popov has Nikita released Popov. A, a read-only properties RFC. <clears throat> this is a this. modifier to I not a, read it though. It's a modifier to a class property that marks it as read-only. Uh, this is on initialization where you declare it during the construction, and then any further attempt to assign it will fail. It will say this has been assigned already. Throw a, an exception. Do you, do you think this, this will pass? Do you, this is, do you feel that? Yeah. Do you feel this is useful? Yes, I think okay. it's. I think it's useful. Um, and I think actually I might be wrong about doing it during the constructor. I think you might be able to set it. No, it's during the constructor. You're right. All his examples are in the construction constructor at least. They. Yeah. I think the last one is not. There's a getter that checks if. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, there's a lot of work in here. It's it is a long RFC for something you would think is just short. Uh, I think it'll pass because it's Nikita, man. I mean, that's that was my point. Dude gets his way. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. If, if you're if you're a subscriber to PHP Architect Magazine, I I am in the midst of an interview with Joe Watkins, um, who is the veteran release manager. Uh, for PHP 8.1, pretty sure he's unhappy with his uh, his people, but that's not the topic of this interview. Uh, he ta- he talks a lot about his uh, bus blog post. We we talked about it on the show a couple shows back of you know the the concerns of the how much institutional knowledge is really not spread out within the PHP internals team. That there's some very key components. Uh, of PHP internals that only a few people have a true understanding of. And so, uh, I'm, we're, we're trying to, we're, we're kind of expanding on that blog post and it's been interesting. Uh, we we're, we're doing like an email interview. So we're not actually talking, um, something about he doesn't like me. I'm not sure exactly, <laughs> but, uh, he, uh, he's, um, it's good. It's going to be good. So if you're if you're a subscriber to PHP Architect, uh, this will be the community corner for next month. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, consider subscribing. It's a great resource. Uh, Eric, so the read-only property is going to be great for immutable classes. Like if you, if you write some sort of immutable object, it's going to be perfect for that. Uh, mm-hmm. Doing a lot of DTOs where you've set it, but it's really just to transfer data somewhere else you don't want that Mm -hmm. data to change afterwards Mm -hmm. so yeah and a lot of people complain about immutability in php as it is um specifically with uh dates date variables are supposed to be immutable but they're not this isn't going to change that obviously but no but with carbon it could you know you you could see a new version of uh, carbon date handler coming out that that is an immutable date handler they already have it carbon immutable yeah see (laughs) Yeah, Perfect. I mean that—that's what I use, especially in all my tests. Is I don't use carbon directly anymore. I, I basically use carbon immutable. Eh, there's no reason not to. It's interesting because this read-only property means that you can't change the variable, but you can change the contents of the variable. Uh, so the example that he gives here is uh, if you have a new read-only object with the uh, parameter or the the property of foo, you can change foo. You just can't change huh? which object it is. I'm confused on that. What do you mean? 
So I have object A and object B. A is read-only. So I assign A to a read-only variable. I can't assign B to the same read-only variable, but I can change the properties of A as a read-only variable because it just means you can't change the variable's pointer. Which example are you looking at? Uh, There's no line numbers here, but uh, read-only properties do not preclude interior mutability. Objects or resources stored in read-only properties may still be modified internally. Gotcha. Okay. So you can't set it from outside, but from inside you can. No, you can set it from outside. You just can't change the read-only value. The read-only points at an object, not the contents of that object. So the object doesn't become immutable. The object is still mutable. That makes sense. If you set an attribute to a mutable object, you can still change that mutable object. Right. You're not guaranteeing that because you're now in your your first class is immutable doesn't mean that everything within it is immutable. Right. That makes sense. Because it's just covers, at that point it's just pointers to objects that that'd be impossible to track. This covers inheritance as well. You can't override a read write property with a read only property through inheritance. Has to match the signature. It's interesting stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on in this. Yeah. What I saw you 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 share something about the Xdebug update from May 2021. Yes. Derek Rathens is doing his uh, monthly update of XDebug, still talking about uh, XDebug Cloud, stuff like that. Uh, The big thing is 8.1 support, and the big drumroll is support for fibers in XDebug. Hopefully not next week, but... Two weeks from tonight, I might be able to have a, a whole discussion about information about XDebug Cloud. I think. Oh, next, really? I think next Friday we're trying to get him to do a a talk for a group of developers. That'll be interesting because I I know very little about it. Yeah. Don't worry, John. John's not going to invite either one of us. <laughs> it's, these are just the developers he actually respects. Um, <laughs> it's funny because it's true. You said it, not me. It's. It's an interesting update because he basically just says like, "Hey, I'm trying to I'm trying to raise two thousand dollars a month on Patreon or GitHub sponsors, um, and I'm I'm halfway there. So thanks to everyone for helping and let your company know that if they use XDebug, uh, they should give me money for being so damn helpful. Um, but there's not a lot of updates besides saying eight point one brings a lot of stuff in that I haven't gotten to yet. Um, Enums specifically." Uh, and he spoke with uh, the developer of PHP Debug Adapter for Visual Studio Code. And Here we go, Visual Studio Code conversation again. They said they they said they had a, a bunch of issues that they wanted to address, and they brought them up to to Derek. So he's working on that. Um, specifically, there's a, a protocol feature that makes xdebug include information about the breakpoint that was hit. So not just hitting a breakpoint, but saying, like, where did I come from before this? Which, that the that's, stack trace? That's cool. Well, the stack trace is a generated trace. When you hit a breakpoint, you don't generate a stack trace. So this is something similar to that, but on a per breakpoint basis. At least that's I, my understanding. Speaking say, of I'm things, very confused by that. Speaking of things that are my understanding. <laughs> like, I like how you just like, I'm going to get past this conversation because I don't know the answer. Yes. I talked about pointers in C last week, and everything I said was correct. However, I could have been more specific in that I was incorrect on most of the things I said. <laughs> what? It was, it was brought to my attention that I was referencing uh, the void 
star pointer types, but there is type casting in C, so it is not necessarily the nightmare that I described to Eric in our conversation. It is a whole different kind of nightmare that does support typecasting. Hey, you don't have to worry about Tom. I rarely listen to you. I know. Okay. But you know who you should listen to? So, our spa- our Patreons. Patreons. Our patrons. Patreons. Patreons. Patreons on Patreon. You gave me uh, some interesting information about our patrons this week. Oh, I forgot to clean up the list. We don't have a new Patreon patreon i gotta clean up that list he can be new for uh, two weeks what 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 did i what did they say what you that we have that our current patrons have been ugly family for a year all of our current patrons have been ugly family we have had no or i'm sorry we've had no cancellations of patrons well now that you brought Wait. it up to everybody yeah, thanks, there, Tom. Log in. so yeah. clearly people aren't checking their bank statements go check your bank statement make sure you're not still giving us money oh god uh, all uh, right we, we did Wait, we happened? did have a very transparent conversation or at least eric did about patron money in the That's discord true. channel um That's talking about true. how we split it up and how we handle tax and stuff and the the answer there is we don't split the money up. Uh, we agreed sometime back that any money that comes from patrons or sponsors or anything like that is turned back around and goes into the show. So we have shirt designs and stickers and keychains and all sorts of stuff that we're working on that go out to our our lovely fans, um, fans. patrons, listeners. Yes. No, listeners. Tol- we're trying to do stuff for tolerance. We're, we're trying to. Yeah, we're trying to put some stuff together for for everybody. Like anybody who wants something. Now, we we are gonna we're we're gonna start leaning into the whole Uggo theme a little bit that uh, that came up. So know. for the record, it's a little close to home for me. <laughs> for the record, um, uh, stickers were ordered together today. Uh, they're going directly to John, who already has the keychain. So we are we are moving. We're definitely getting the patreon reward packages out but we're looking to do things for everybody for existing patrons we're looking to do some stuff for 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 anybody who wants something we're, we're trying to come up with some stuff obviously we always that's always been the thing like the stickers and stuff even the keychains like if i had keychains at a conference or something and somebody came up to me and said they hey would they listen to the show you know i i, I give it to them yeah I, I mean it's it's not that valuable of a thing really <laughs> but uh but we do try to carry those things around with us. Or if somebody, if somebody, you know, just asks, say, "Hey, is there any chance I can get something?" You know, we try to get them to you. So we are doing that, uh, John. I didn't get feedback from you on the new stickers, so I did order the existing stickers that we have. Um, you know, I, but I, I went to go to that, and I didn't have Dropbox open or something. I forget what uh, happened. They're not. I'm not real happy with them, so I'm, I need to come up with something better. But yeah, we're we're, we're getting some stuff out. But yeah, I, I'm glad you you caught that, Tom, and you agreed with it for the most part. You know, I don't want to get too deep into this. Uh oh. But you know, like red, even John, the red, the red lights on. You know what that means? What's no idea? It's doom and gloom time. Eric was just about to say something. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ! Are, is your is your headphones are your headphones on? I'm trying to get deep here. I'm trying to have a conversation with listeners and you. Oh, look, he's upset now. 
Now he's not going to talk. Sorry. The green um, the green light is on. That means uh, I'm done interrupting. <laughs> so confused. I don't know what to do here. I try. I honestly goodness try, and it just doesn't work. So anyways, as far as the money goes, right? Like, I, I, I'm only bringing this up because it was a topic. It, it's a topic that came up. And we, we did, we did, John and I, again, run a, a shop here. We have developers. We have employees we pay. And we, you know, we, we try to give bonuses when we can. So the whole thing with, at least for me, from my perspective, I don't know about John. I, I can't speak for him. Who knows what that guy thinks sometimes. But for me, like the whole idea of starting a business, my goal was if I can pay myself the same amount of money I would make working for someone else, then why wouldn't I do that? So we achieved that goal fairly quickly and we've, been fortunate enough to be able to now pay other people in the community friends we've had people we've followed uh where we have a good amount of them where it's their full-time job as well so i'm extremely proud of that my point being i never expected to get rich doing this like we 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 don't have we have a couple products out there like argus.to i've mentioned a few times but i i never i i, I don't have this anticipation of well i'm going to be a millionaire in the next five years i want to make a, a nice living for myself and my family. And the more people I can take along for that ride, the better. And we've been very fortunate. Mm -hmm. So John and I run our business pretty razor thin. And I felt so bad this week because like one of our most key people that, 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 that are, that's been with us for a very long time. They, they've, they've like, they've like topped out where we're at right now. And we, we're, you know, John and I are trying to always trying to figure out, you know, creative ways of bringing in more income. It's like, it's not, we're not afraid of money. Like we're not shying away from money. Matter of fact, we're hiring right now, which is something else I haven't brought up. I'll share that link in the show notes as well. We are hiring. If you, if you're a PHP developer, we've got some good applicants out there. So we are hiring out there, but it's like, we run so razor thin that we get to this point where like we, we literally can't give people any more money because there's no more money to give them like you know we we budget i mean we're good we're not like we're not living week to week or month to month john is a fantastic finance person as far as i know he could be terrible and we could be completely <laughs> broke i don't really know but we we typically have like a year or two runway and we budget that way and and that includes like you know we try well we try to make sure we're including like salaries and things like that uh, as much as we can so I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know what, what took me down this, the, the whole thing with PHP ugly, the Patreons, the, the sponsorships have just the, 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 the amount of stress it takes us off of like, Oh, we need a mic, you know, how, where are we, you know, we, we need a budget for a mic and this has really kind of been really appreciated. Um, but yeah, we're not, we don't, to Tom's point, we don't see that money. Like personally, we don't see that. I mean, look at this. I, I've got a mic here in front of me that I would never have, you know, had I not like had a podcast and, you know, been the owner of a company, but it's, you know, yeah. Where was it going? Tom, did you want to interrupt? I think you had some doom and gloom you wanted to go talk to. Yes. I've been embezzling doom and gloom. The only, the only right way to end this show. Massive, massive password leak uh I believe they're calling it the the largest password leak in history uh boy it would have been nice to put this as a trailer card wouldn't it it's on my I list mean, oh is it yeah you have a list 
Isn't it on my Trello list? Oh, it is. Largest largest password breach. <laughs> Dude, we have show notes this week. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, 3.2 billion leaked passwords. Um, the, the article goes on to point out that 4.7 billion users use the internet. So 3.2 is a pretty significant number of that total internet usage. Well, granted, that 3.2 billion isn't unique so it's not like 3.2 billion of the 4 billion users yeah so combining this with the historical password breaches and stuff like that comes to 8.4 billion unique password variations that have been used at some point and uh pretty terrifying uh you can you can go to have i been pwned put in your email address and see which leaks you've been affected by um you can even see some of the pastes that supposedly have your but, email addresses in them. I was going to say, that's the problem, is it only tells you if your email address was you, was obtained in a leak. Uh, it gives you a breakdown of which leaks it, uh, and which data was obtained. So you actually get a, a breakdown by company and year of when this happened. And many password managers actually have uh, tools, like audit tools in them that let you go through site by site and change all your passwords which I recommend people, you know, actually go through and do. Um, also, two-factor authentication. Like we saw in the Keystone XL pipeline, they did not have two-factor authentication on one of their VPNs, and that's where people got, or not the Keystone, uh, the uh, yeah, Colonial, s- colonial, colonial pipeline. pipeline. Oh, right. Uh, so yeah, get two-factor authentication on all your stuff as fast as you can. Uh, it's not a guarantee that you're going to be safe, but it's... At least another layer of protection protects you against password leaks. And use a password manager. Use yeah, absolutely yeah, oh, use, use a password, a password manager. manager. Um, and then of course you know uh, fastly going down, exposing that you know large swaths of the internet have a single point of failure, which isn't great. Mm. Were you going somewhere right. like that, or was that was that how you were ending? I was just <laughs> I was I confused. I tried to pick it up. I don't know where he's going. Well, this is a story I gave I gave John last week because I knew it would cause some eye rolling. But there was a cyber attack against the world's largest meat processing company oh, last yeah. week. You did share that. And this is the kind of thing that we have to be sort of extra vigilant of is like yeah, whole industries can be brought to their knees very quickly. <laughs> I'm sorry. Your cat in the corner there is freaking me out. If you look in your camera, your whole bed it's is like just dark eyes. and there's just, just eyes it's in just the like darkness. Weird. <laughs> Sorry, visual. If you're listening to the audio podcast, go to YouTube, fast forward to the end, and see this piece. <laughs> all right, back to your story. Yeah, it's we should we should all be generally concerned that whole industries can be taken down with single attacks by uh, either you know government sponsored uh, hackers or independent hackers that. Getting those disaster recovery and emergency plans seems like it's kind of a good idea. That's all I got for doom and gloom this week. I just figured I'd, I'd sneak it in at the end. That's where it belongs, right at the right at the butt of the podcast. <laughs> all righty, that's going to do it. Episode two hundred and forty is in the can. I'm Eric. I'm John. 
I'm Tom. Keep it ugly. Keep it ugly. One, two, one, two. Uh, coming off the top. Y'all know how we do. Listen, I'ma drop a freestyle you can cherish. I'ma send a shout out to the host named Eric. Yo, he's never on some average shit. You know, Eric, he stays loud and passionate. I'm about to break it down for y'all with the clever song. Yo, shout the host named Thomas because he's never wrong. Yo, shout to John. You know that he's smart and quiet. Unlike my freestyles, which cause a riot. I'm about to do it like this because the people love me. Shouts out to people. PHP, the ugly, it's called ugly cause it's not professional But I'm about to come through and bless it with style So let's do it when I'm spitting, I perfume the room Yo, the segment of the show is called Doom and Gloom That came from Thomas, yeah, can nobody go beyond this I get the mic and then I'm about to keep it like a promise Yeah, and y'all know we fill them up with anguish We talking about the PHP, the programming language About to break it down, no exaggeration What do y'all do for a living? Web applications, okay, I I can dig it, my words spray tight, uh, they getting together on the Thursday nights, yeah, when it comes to rhyming, you can call me the new dude, I spew true lyrics while y'all broadcast on YouTube, so let's get it, you know my lyrics are major, all up in the comments, they got plenty of haters, but they doing what they doing, keep it ugly, we ending every show with the saying it's lovely, let's go, yeah, come on.